So here's the thing, y'all. Uh, I got called unprofessional a number of months ago, and it has just been this bee in my bonnet. Really pissed me off. Um, I got denied a pretty important platform, and that sucked. Um, but here's the thing. I was listening to my old episodes. I was listening to last week's episode, and I am, in fact, unprofessional as hell. There's <laughs> just like, I'm doing a phone interview, and I forgot to turn my phone on silent. So there's just my phone's going off in the middle of it. And that happened, like, fairly recent, like fairly regularly in some of the episodes. Is my phone, like, I'm because I'm an active organizer, and so my phone's just, like, going off all the time. But, you know, I could probably silence that shit if I'm, like, in an active interview. <laughs> and then just shit like that. You know, like, I've got my little microphone on a table or on a chair or whatever and like the guest is strumming their fingers on the table and, and or the sound quality is just terrible it's badly edited like whatever this is a very unprofessional show you know what i'm just decided like fuck it i'm just gonna rock it like this is in fact an anarchist podcast and here's the thing about us anarchists is like we are trying to hold this shit together we're trying to save the world using like a couple pieces of string and some old gum <laughs> and like honestly i think we're doing a pretty good job um, I'll be told. You know, it's just like looking at this big, broken, like gaping wound and putting a little bandaid on it and being like, feel better. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. And we're trying. So, this episode is in celebration of me being just absolutely an unprofessional um, anarchist podcaster, just working, just trying to do my thing. Um, yeah, that's what this is about. It also talks about. Um, neurodivergence and like my own neurodivergence has been a source of real shame a lot of the time in my life and uh that sucks that's unfortunate and it shouldn't be that way and um I'm trying to like reclaim that and like look at how that's affected my life and like how ableism has affected my life and my work and in the last year in the last couple of years and the last all of my life and um sort of confronting those demons so there's, there's part of this there's parts of this that are a little bit hard for me part of this interview that I did because I I get a little confused and a little raw and again with like the totally unprofessional I just like don't know what I'm talking about because I don't know what I'm talking about because these are just questions that are not answered for me you know a lot of these things we're talking about we're talking about queries instead of answers you know like it's a Quaker being a Quaker is a seeking faith I think being an activist is a seeking faith in some ways where you know we don't necessarily have the answers but we're just going to keep looking for them you know um, especially in sort of an anarchist milieu as opposed to sort of, maybe, I don't know, maybe more communist milieu where you think you, you have the answer and you're going to go for it. It's an anarchist, like, we try and stay flexible and um, just sort of see how things turn out. We can't really, you can't, you can't make a plan without it calcifying badly um, and then being unflexible and not helping. So, um, yeah, it's also not very long. I was in, I went to Lansing, and I'm still kind of recovering, honestly, um, that was an intense, intense moment, intense protest, protest against Richard Spencer in East Lansing. Um, so, um, still recovering from that. So, um, you can, you can kind of hear that in the episode too. Um, a friend of mine, two friends of mine got arrested. One of them got all their charges dropped. The other one though was held in solitary confinement for two days and is now facing three felony charges. So please um, hold them in the light, and I'm going to put a link in the notes for the bail fund. The NLG has been helping them out, which is wonderful. They're fantastic. All love to the NLG. NLG equals B-A-E. So, yeah, and thank you to everybody who showed up to Lansing. It was great. We totally won the day on that one, um, and it was good stuff. Good deal. All right. 
enjoy. Oh, and support me on Patreon because capitalism is killing me slowly. Um, yeah, www.patreon.com slash friendly anarchism. Right, thank you. Ready? Yeah, sure. Okay. Hello, this is Catherine. Welcome to Friendly Anarchism. Want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, my name is Isaac. And uh, I just met you, what, yesterday? Is that right? Two days ago. Two days ago. Have I been here this long? Yeah, you've been here for a while. (laughs) Yeah, you're you're, you're in the Michigan. I know, I'm not even even done being here yet. Yep. Yeah, so basically, uh, this last Sunday, I thought I was going to clean my house. And instead, I woke up and had a leading that I needed to come up to Detroit for the Richard Spencer thing. And I didn't, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't look to check when the Richard Spencer event in Detroit was. I knew he was speaking at like 6, so I was like, oh, I can get there by 6, because um, Detroit's 8 hours from Nashville. So like, okay, cool, I'll just like jump in the car, because I got like really early in the morning. And I jump in the car, and I get there, and I get like halfway there, and I check to see where I'm going, and I check the time of the event, and I was like, oh shit, it was at 2 o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> was yeah. like, it's already past that, I've already missed this event. What am I doing? Why am I here? Like, okay, well, there's a Lansing, East Lansing event tomorrow, too. And I was like, well, okay. And I look up East Lansing, it's like, like four hours away. And I'm like, oh, it's still a lot of driving at this point. And um, I'm like, I spent a few years when I was a kid in Ann Arbor. So I'm like, let's go check out Ann Arbor. Like, I'll see what that's out. So I get to Ann Arbor and um, I was like, I don't know where I'm going to stay. I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just like find a motel or something. And then I realized that I have a comrade here who's in my Radical Quaker collective, Friendly Fire. And somehow, because we're, we're spread out all over the country, right? So, like, we're not all in one spot. <laughs> so I yeah. had just kind of forgotten that he was here. And so I realized that, found him, and came over, and it turned out that he was going to the protest the next day as well. So we got, I actually ended up having a block to go with, which was awesome. And so then things have happened and I've ended up at your house. <laughs> yeah, so many things have happened. <laughs> so many things have happened. Is this a regular occurrence living with activists, this sort of crap? It has been over the years. I've lived in different activist spaces always and I've always been more on the support end of things. Like I, I, I stay at home and keep house a lot. And yeah. so I, I think I usually like make beds for people who I don't know who are crashing fairly frequently. Yeah. Like when you walked in the room, I was like, oh, I don't really know why that person's here or who that is. <laughs> and I was like, or they're, you know, they're my roommate's friend. It's probably okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just uh, presumed it was okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, all then, those like little acts of solidarity are so important. Like so important. Like there's so like people don't even realize all of the little things like you just took me to Taco Bell which was like incredibly important to me right now because I need a dinner yeah <laughs> you know? like it seems small but it's not is it are we good are we need to... oh we're good I'm just gonna put the volume up so, you, so you're more clear oh okay okay cool um oh exciting news Wait, I got no, a new microphone oh too Ooh, clear my bad no, I sorry I'm gonna get back down <laughs> okay we're just gonna show where we were I'm sorry that I, I, yeah that was unnecessary uh, I should tell the audience I just got a new microphone I saw, well I um Actually, a friend gave it to me for Christmas, and it's like an actually nice podcast microphone that I should have been using this entire time since I got it, but I just didn't know how to put it together, and I've been busy, and I've been moving, and I just like haven't known how to deal with it, and I'm not, I'm like technologically challenged when it comes to these things, and so like, total kismet, 
Isaac that I met completely randomly from circumstance is a sound person and musician and he just helped me hook this microphone up that we're using now and hopefully I think the sound quality for my podcast will be much improved here on out. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so thank you. That's amazing. Like in my last episode, I was freaking out because, oh, I wasn't freaking out. I was just upset when I was listening to it to edit it because my microphone was starting to like go out at one point. It was yeah. like getting all crappy and I was like, oh my gosh, if my microphone goes out, I'm so screwed. Right. <laughs> Except for that I have this nice microphone in my room that I don't know how to use. And now you're way less screwed. <laughs> there are ways that you could take this on the road with you. Like, probably like $25 to $30 solutions where you could plug this into something that's actually in your pocket. Really? Yes. That would be extremely helpful because that's the thing is right now it's plugged into my computer and I do. You could like take that to the. No, no, because I do a lot of like. Yeah, I do like. I take. What I like to do is take my handheld recorder to where somebody feels most comfortable. Right. So so it's like. So so it's like. And there's some circumstances where I could bring my computer to that, but there's others when I couldn't. Yeah. Before we go on, let's listen back to this and make sure it sounds good. Because I'd be so embarrassed to be like, you set the microphone. <laughs> okay. It starts a new track every time you record it, but it's all there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Didn't mean to stop your flow there. It's okay. My flow wasn't really, I don't know exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> right, right. Um, oh, 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 I was talking about little acts of solidarity. So, um, and Kismet, that I randomly met you just totally randomly and I had this problem and multiple problems that you were able (laughs) to solve you know yeah it's all these things seem little and they're not no you know no yeah right right (laughs) I agree I'm thinking (laughs) about like taking small acts for granted uh as a touring musician I I'm always amazed that people are willing to go to the lengths that they go to to host me sometimes they're strangers and sometimes they're friends and they're like maybe heard music or maybe they're a friend of a friend and they'll like give me a place to stay and a place to play and then like hand me a hundred dollars and it actually feels like just like a wild dream and I, and I have like currently I'm in this situation with someone where they're mixing my album for me for free because they want to like they they, they were like oh I love your music I want to record you let's do this and every time he sends me a mix, I say, thank you. I'm so grateful for what you're doing. And at one point, he's like, stop thanking me. This is, like, way <laughs> too much. And, like, I've offered to pay him, too. And he's like, no. And, and, like, it's just, like, this whole thing. I don't know. Yeah, like, there's this kind of, like, limit ceiling to gratitude. I'm trying to think of what it is. Spoken gratitude, lived gra- gratitude, are they different? Because. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it, it's, I think. There's maybe it depends on the person because there's some people that need or want and and um, to hear appreciations and then there's also a type of person I think who feels like they sh- they are should be doing that anyway and so feel like you by thanking them are like making it into like a thing that they like wanted you to thank them. You know, yeah. and so it's like they don't want to be thanked. It should just be like a thing that they did for you, right? So it's like, and they're both totally valid, but they're different ways of moving through the world. I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. Mm. Yeah. We were talking earlier about silence, and because you were talking about musicians using silence or not using silence, weren't you? I was. Yeah, yeah. I said, I said the word. I called some musicians athletic. And you, and you yeah. were like, what? Like, yeah. why, why would you call them that? And I guess that I, then I thought, I just taken it back in myself. I was like, oh yeah, that's not like a really a musical term. But yeah, I was saying earlier, um, we were listening to a musician named Michael Hurley, who, whose record just ended, but 
um, pretty much a, a saying that, that he and his band were comfortable enough with each other that they didn't have to make much noise, that they didn't have to show off, and that they were able to do something simple finally. Yeah. And uh, and I call that non-athletic. Yeah. You know, uh, they, they weren't flexing or showing strength. Like, they had an implicit strength to the fact that they can make something euphonious without, without like, ripping solos and playing really loud or playing... <laughs> They're always laid back. Uh-huh. They're always laid back. And I don't know. I actually really like scenarios that, that are that way where the power is implicit. Like, mm. I don't know, uh, the familiarity and the, and the trust enable a scenario where power never has to be, like, foisted yeah. <laughs> into yeah, the yeah, center. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sort of a it's sort of egalitarian within the that little. I guess you could call you could call a band an affinity group, right? I would say yeah, so. Definitely. So like within that affinity group, there's an egalitarian structure where people kind of like know how to work together to create something. At its best, I would say that's true, and at its worst and fairly common, it's like a polyamorous relationship without boundaries, where everyone's like not exactly sure what level of a thing they are, and people perceive like work in music in different ways mm. and then everyone's like wait i thought it was supposed to be more this way i thought it was supposed to be more that way because it's really hard to talk about music with words and like <laughs> nail it and like have everyone be on the same page like, i don't think it's actually possible to be on the same page with music mm. so i think that yeah egalitarian structure is a great thing to strive for i think that what usually happens is like a combination of like that happening in someone's head and that not happening in someone else's yeah i've been on both sides of it yeah i mean then there's also people instilling hierarchies within a band or like if, if everyone's on board with it i guess if there's like a leader you know like right the, like the lead singer kind of tells everybody what to do or um or like like a director you know who's like has the musical vision and everybody's on board with helping them or maybe they're not on board with helping them right right and they've just sort of like instilled a hierarchy without the consent of others yeah you know i've instilled hierarchies without trying to before like uh without realizing i'm doing it i've i think it's because i've been in bands for a long time mm-hmm. i have enough experience to do most things involved in playing recording booking a show making a poster promoting touring all those things are pretty like in my language and they're in my wheelhouse and i've spent a decade doing them wrong and doing them right and doing them wrong and doing it right so often what happens when I'm with a group of people that are less experienced, like if there are musicians who are less experienced in the space, they'll say, hmm, what should we do right now? And I'll instantly have a plan. Mm-hmm. And it's not the fact that I coerced them out of their own plan. It's that they didn't have the time to fuck up and make a plan. Like right. They didn't have the time to to get that amateur experience mm. of like doing things wrong. Cause mm. I'm like, Oh no, we don't have to do things wrong. Like we could just do it in this line, <laughs> but it also puts into like total Isaac style. Like, mm, you know, yeah. it's, it doesn't That's true. make a chance for their haphazard style to develop, which will want at some point become a confident craft. Mm, but. Interesting. Yeah. That's a good point. And then there's also the, though that some people like you do have valuable knowledge, right? You know? So it's like, honoring that valuable knowledge and wisdom and experience at the same time though you know it's so that's like an interesting balance yeah within diy music i find that that's a really hard balance to achieve Mm. because diy comes with the pretense of egalitarian learning experience and so so there should be no hierarchical advantage and also means that, like, if you put any labor into learning a craft, it shouldn't give you any more precedence to take up space or do things, which is an interesting, like, kind of, like, paradoxical thing because people are, like, cutting their teeth in that space and getting better at stuff, but there's, like, sort of, like, this, like, ground thing where it's, like, you, everyone's always equal, we're always, you know, everything's legit. 
Well, that sounds a whole lot like anarchist organizing. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the same, the same, str- we have the same struggles with, like, how do you honor knowledge and also honor newness and new ideas and different ways of doing things and versus established ways of doing things and, like, people, you know, accidental hierarchies and and not accidental hierarchies. Right. You know, or like unspoken hierarchies is another one where it's like, oh, we are egalitarian, but then there's actually hierarchies happening, but then no one talks about them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like there's an awesome zine called The Tyranny of Structurelessness. Yes. Yeah, do you know it? No, but that title is already speaking to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's, it's saying like a lot of times people are like, oh, well, we don't, we don't need rules because we're going to do this like, we're just going to be egalitarian and not... And, then not need to like have all these rules or write anything down or you know what I mean and then it actually what happens is when you don't have a set of ways to work together like kind of that's decided on by the group then hierarchies instill themselves accidentally because there's all of these underlying power structures just because of people's personalities or interpersonal relationships and stuff that are not um, checked or like taken care of via like um, intentional democratic process right you know Man, I really need to read that book. Oh, it's just a little zine, too. It's just short. It's great. Gotcha, because the musicians I organize with, or I organize with people, I play music with people, but some of the, you know, I I am affiliated with a lot of people who are DIY anarchist atheists. Uh So they believe (laughs) that you can do an act of craft outside of craft, that you could do an act of power outside without acknowledging power, Mm. and that you can do acts of faith without acknowledging faith. That's bizarre. I feel like all of those... I don't believe in any of those things that you just said. <laughs> in any of those? Yeah, because I think you, you can only... You can't... You have to de- you have to acknowledge those things in order to either, like, decide to work or not work with them. Right, you exactly. Have to, you have to acknowledge power. You can't just say we don't have any power. It's like there always are going to be power dynamics that have to be... have to be dealt with. Yeah, and actually, I want to say, just go back and... I, I disagree with something I, I said myself, that... The single people I know aren't actually that way, but like uh, sometimes the, the scene rhetoric yeah. becomes that way. Yeah. It, it becomes an embracing of structurelessness and, and believing it, that there can... Because yeah, I think that you do have to acknowledge power in order to fight it. I think yeah. that you do have to acknowledge class. I think if you do acknowledge all these things, and not in a shameful way, they should just be on the table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, totally. I don't know. Do you think this is going to be a problem, the sound from the it, furnace? It'll be in there. Do you think it's... Can you listen to it real Let's quick? listen to it. Okay, so we can just do this now? Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, how do you balance people having knowledge and wisdom and having experience with people's new ideas and new valuable knowledge that may not be understood to be applicable yet? You know? Right. So... Yeah, I mean, I think it it should be the goal of any space or group to balance, like, idealism and experience. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like, you know, there should be new people in this space who have, like, carte blanche to try a ton of stuff. And there should be people that are in this space that have some kind of, like, level of elder status in terms of what they have down or, like, the crafts that they really are holding down. But I think that in terms of actually negotiating that, it's actually really complex and problematic every time like the idealism and and the life and the and the wisdom cl- clash. I think it's to have a flexible wisdom is kind of hard. Yeah, and then um when you're doing dangerous work, that becomes a whole nother 
ball game. So, like, if you're talking about, um, if you, you know, there's arts that are dangerous, and also specifically those things, like, anti-fascism. Yes. You know, like, you can doing seriously dangerous work, and so, like, that knowledge and wisdom, like, you don't have a lot of room to fuck up, you know? Like, because one fuck up can fuck up everything and, like, fuck up your life and get people hurt. Yes. So it's like, but on the other hand, in these anarchist organizing spaces, like, as a movement... As a like revolutionary movement, we also do need to be like adapting and hearing new ideas. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. just interesting. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Like we we're kind of talking about like though, but the problems the problems with that are these hierarchies that sort of develop if somebody's knowledge is seen. Yeah, yeah, as as law. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of the pamphlet "Tyranny of Structurelessness"? Tyranny of Structurelessness. I f- I, think. I have a feeling about what it's about. <laughs> However, I haven't I haven't read it. Um, but based on the title, I've I've experienced what the tyranny. Is. Of, the yeah, tyranny of yeah. It's a great it's a great little pamphlet. Basically, um, it's saying that um. Dang it, we had it so on. We were, like, on a roll. I know. Maybe I'll just keep it in without all... Because it was, like... It wasn't that bad, the wine. Yeah, it was a little bit of noise. But... Yeah. Well, I know... To me, the tyranny of structurelessness does connect directly to, like... It, you know, DIY musicians not talking about craft, anarchists not talking about power, and atheists not talking about faith. Right. Like, like I, to me, that's like those are the concepts I'm just going over all the time. Right. Which seems to me interesting because if you're you're the most invested in that subject. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, anarchists, we should talk about power. We should definitely talk about power within our own structures, with our own organizing. You know, and making sh- like talk about interpersonal power dynamics is incredibly important. You know, so like the idea that the problem with the tyranny of structurelessness is um, if you don't have um, like impl- like you can't you can't have implicit like you if you say that there are no rules um, then all of these hidden power dynamics and stuff will emerge or be present without like like we have rules and organizing strategies and styles like you have to like instigate democracy Yeah. <laughs> you have to you have to have like specifically like made you have to man, I like lost it. Well, I don't know. I've kind of been picking up what you're getting at. I don't know or where you were coming from because yeah, there's like a level of vision that happens with structurelessness where people start to have ideals about the structurelessness. And then you you just said imposing democracy, do you mean like after a state of structurelessness there becomes an intervention? Oh, that's interesting by saying that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, um, when power takes hold, it's hard to dislodge it. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, I've been in several things where boundaries weren't set at the beginning, Mm -hmm. and so in the middle, it's like we're in such separate places, everyone involved, like, has such separate perceptions, that's like, like, any collective vision possibility becomes really turbulent. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I have two bands that I'm in. One that it was no boundaries, no rules, egalitarian trio. Great band. I love the band, but we're, you know, we we hurt each other all the time due to the no boundaries and now trying to establish it. And I have the other band, which is the band where I'm the explicit patriarch. (laughs) And the the band only has one rule. It's that, and people, people are in the band, but pretty much it's like, 
you know, it's my music, and if this band is bad for you at any time, if a recording, a rehearsal, or a show is making your life less healthy, if it's messing with your health and autonomy, you should not do it. Hmm. That is the rule of the band. And it's interesting the different outcomes, because I'd say there's pros and cons to both, like yeah. being like tied to each other to the death, like or like, <laughs> you know, this is pretty much like a only if it's good commitment, like only come when it's the right time for you. Yeah. I think yeah. if it's explicit, that's like the the rules or the structures have to be explicit. Like yeah. in some cases, I think you you want to have like leadership or or somebody in the front lines who's or like a director, but that ha- that power has to be given explicitly and with consent by the other people. Right. You know what I mean? Like you, yeah, and, and like in that situation, that's different. You know. So like, but then I think general that needs to never be any sort of long-term solution because that power, even if it's explicitly given, will be corrupting. Right. You know? Yeah. So we always need to be striving for egalitarian things. But I think, you know, like for like when I'm working in my collectives, anarchist collectives, it's like always trying to make sure that there's democratic processes, you know, like truly, like when I say democratic, I don't think, I don't mean like within a state structured democracy. C- I mean like, yeah, I mean like democratic, like small d democratic where everybody has a say yes. kind of in what what's going on. Um, but then friendly anarchism is my project. You know what yes. I mean? Like I have control over this project. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, like I have another admin on my Facebook page and I just sort of like make the rules about what can and can't be posted on that Facebook page. It's not really decided by group. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're probably able to work quicker that way. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's faster. That's the thing is like leadership stuff is is faster but less but less less good over I think overall. Yeah. Like like again like yeah, so it's like how do you how do you balance that? Yeah, cuz cuz you lo- you lose a level of consciousness when you're doing things alone or when you're when you're in control. Yeah. Um it's good to have feedback. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, because I don't, I can't imagine ever achieving the balance, because my all, my, 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 there's a rule band, and my there's no rules band, I love them both, and, uh, (laughs) what, they're different roller coasters of pain and pleasure type things, ah, man, yeah, like, even family structure, like, every structure I've ever known, it's pretty much, like, a seesaw of this is right for me right now, and this is not right for me right now. That's true. I guess that's why we work by voluntary association. That's my shit. I love that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Affinity organizing is so Affinity organizing good. is really nice. Yeah, because voluntary association means, like, well, it's not working for me now. I can voluntarily disassociate. Like, I'm not coerced, or there's no, like, reason I have to be here. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I actually, I'm being interviewed about an organizing group I'm in that is all voluntary association oriented. Mm. And it's pretty much a number of discussions and educational things that we get together and discuss. And then we do various actions as a group or as solo people. But none of the actions are necessarily linked to the group. And so we're being interviewed by a school newspaper. And I was asking one of the group, like, what should we talk about that we do? Like, because we do a lot of things, but I don't want to implicate this group in any of the other things because they're kind of separate, but they yeah. all do sprout from this. Yeah. And the solution is really to say, like, yeah, as a group, like, we, we do everything by voluntary association, and thus we really, our mission is just to have these conversations and just to do actions. Mm-hmm. And it is not useful in the context of this interview to tell you 
exactly what all those things are. Just know we're here and we're doing it. Mm. You know, like, like we can give you a few points or a few points of reference, but we're doing something like that somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) That's the extent that will not implicate any person or any other like pet project thing. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of um, working anonymously. Yeah. Like working without a name is really interesting. Like um, I was in sort of like a named anti-fascist group and now I'm kind of in an unnamed one. Yeah. And we were talking about the idea of like just not having any sort of name or right. and it's like that's it, it was like oh yeah you don't have to title yourself you just need to do the work together. Right. You know what I mean? And I guess it depends on if the credit is meaningful or is useful in developing yeah. your work further. If it's not if it's like fully tactile or fully spatial or yeah. fully literary you know, if, if it's more just about the space and the contact, yeah. and it's not about personhood and the development of your identity, yeah. then that's great. Well, I mean, I think there's reasons. There's, like, I think for, like, fundraising purposes, for, like, I don't know. I don't know. Just the idea of, like, that's, is that's is that, like, the core of humility, humbleness, is, like, taking zero credit ever. But right. is that necessary to be humble? Isn't there a time and a place to, like, be able to say, I did that, it was cool? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just, I, I, have, I go back and forth on that all the time. Like, yeah, I edited a zine that I really think is, like, the shit. Like, I, like, curated a bunch of people's things. And, dur- and during the feedback process for, uh, with going through other people's hands, I never once thought to put my name in it. And then it came out, and I was like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> no one's gonna know that was me like I could never tell someone I could edit their zine really well and hand them it like they'll be like your name's not in here anywhere and I'd be like but it was me but it was though <laughs> it just has the group's name on it and I'm like I don't know I don't actually I, I had one day of being like oh and I, th- I don't know but it's, it's funny when the, like so I painted a banner me and my crew painted a banner for Knoxville and it was like a huge hit it's like I had specifically myself drawn the goodnight white pride and the guy hitting. Uh, well, I was actually made it like a kind of a more feminine looking figure hitting the Nazi with the acoustic guitar. Yeah. Because we're in Nashville. Yeah. And um, I was really proud of it. Like I had drawn and painted that out. And um, but the whole thing was like anonymous. Like it's like it was with an affinity group that's not named or like connected to anything. And then like that banner was really popular and like it went all over the place and like a couple people different people tried to claim it and I was like (laughs) I got kind of like well it shouldn't matter but like it feels like it matters to me you know like that other that I get credit for that I was like I don't really need credit for it but like yeah the world of like credit and influences who was I talking to the other day about like maybe it was one of my housemates but just about what it means to not cite someone whose information you've used. Yeah. And because, like, if if you do create if an identityless something of use, yeah, it will be reproduced and thought of. It'll come up in people's dreams, imaginations, collective works, and maybe future banners. Yeah. You know, so it's like. <laughs> so do you need to? Yeah, I mean, they're talking about. I guess right now we're talking about intellectual property laws. What we're talking about. Yeah. You know, like the intellectual property is still property, though. I mean, we're, we don't believe in property, but then it's like so. It's like, is property just? ego and we talk about like creative commons you know anybody can use anything like as a musician like how do you deal with how do you deal with that kind of stuff like trip like yeah i really wish i was smarter about it because i think it's pretty much i wouldn't be egotistical about it 
I'm, I'm, I don't think that I actually am egotistical about that because my social security isn't relying on my music. I make a point of working in order to make my music not have to succeed. Oh. Um, the fact that I have a full-time job means that my music doesn't have to net money. It breaks even, usually, and that's that's all I aim for. Yeah. And so I think that where I feel differently from other musicians is if a musician's making their living off of music, that intellectual property becomes vital to their social security. Right. And that's when credit becomes really, really important. Yeah, it's true when you get capital involved. Yeah. Damn it, capitalism. So, like, you, like, yeah. like, you don't need, in, you possibly wouldn't need intellectual property law if you didn't if we weren't actually living under capitalism exactly that's that's exactly right right because i mean i've always felt that songs have changed so manically under capitalism like you know songs have sort of accelerated in their rate of change and style because you know if you make this similar sounding song to someone else it could be copyright infringement Mm -hmm. in fact you have different chord progressions and different words is so wacky because if someone's written something really good that you can play and you can inhabit and you can feel their character and you can inhabit it too i think it's amazing to play that song like in in indonesia like there's rice farmers who every night like they'll get on their instruments and just play across the field. They'll play music together in their neighboring farms, like just by sound, and they'll just pick up what each other doing. They're, they're improvised. They can actually share things because this intellectual property thing is, as far as I know, and I've never been to Indonesia, and I don't know a ton, but <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, it's less of a priority because that's not where they drive their social security. Right. I would love a world of music in which, you know, I, I, I went to a talk in the south side of Ypsilanti by a man named Brian Foley, he was having a series about the school-to-prison pipeline, mm. and he was talking about... Um, he was speaking at the Parkridge Center, which most of the people that attend are black, and he's like, before colonialism, church, capital, and culture were all the exact same thing. And it was the first time I'd ever heard that. Hmm. Have you ever heard that? No. And it's this sense that, you know, in a, a long time ago, before capitalism, your, your, your deities your masters and the art critics were all the same person hmm. that, that that there was not this sort of disconnected chain of art validation cultural validation and faith validation that those were all consolidated into one thing and i can give an example of that which is that the western wall and in, in um what's now i don't know in israel palestine thing where you know the western wall yeah. the temple of david yeah. the uh back when it was Zion or Israel, like the the, the Jewish Holy Land, um, the that, that was the only place you could pray was at that wall in the whole world. That was the only place to be Jewish. So it was this place where you had to sacrifice an animal to get into the only place to pray. And to get an animal, you'd have to trade something for the animal. So there was this one place that was the marketplace. It was the center of faith and it was the center of art. It was like the exchange of ideas. It was the Western Wall in Zion. And Pretty much, it was it was the bank, it was the temple, and and it was the center of faith. And it, I don't know, so it's just like, so you had to bring something to trade, you had to sacrifice an animal, and I don't know, just all that consolidated. Is this the place that Jesus wrecked? Do I don't you know? know. I know Jesus wrecked the temple, and like the, they talk about because he he assaulted bankers at the temple. Oh, because um, the there were money changers and money lenders who basically were taking advantage of this system that you're you're talking about. Yeah. Where, like, poor people would come, they'd need to come to this place to pray, and in order to get in, yeah. they'd have to 
do you know do these things and so they ended up the poor people were getting taken advantage of by this like system that is what you're describing and you know and so jesus comes in and says this is uncool yes yeah, so flip some tables there's a hierarchy of access that uh, access yeah denying access yeah if they're like the if 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 yeah, I I could imagine that that would be the place where Jesus would do that though. It does. It, it makes sounds, sense. It sounds and I'm, like it makes sense. I feel bad because I think I know way more about that happening in Judaism because that's my own history and yeah. so it's easier for me to access. But I think that in certain cultures it was the the, the faith, art, and capital all being the same thing was more positive and the means of production were actually sort of egalitarian and like in, in, in praising these things that like everyone would hopefully have equal access to the opportunity yeah. and the capital and the slaughter and the the goods. I, you know, hope, yeah. it'd be great if your faith generated that happening in your community. I would really like that. Yeah. But I think, and I think Brian Foley was, was referencing some kind of like Pan-African sentiment of that being the case, but although he didn't give any specific history at that talk, so I couldn't, yeah. well, it's I sort didn't of know like, that churches as a as a socialist enterprise basically mm. where it's like it's a place of um sharing resources yeah you know i mean so it's like um it is it i think a church at its best is that's exactly what it does is it's a place where those with more give more and then it can be distributed to those with less right you know and then it's also a place of faith and it's a place of shared capital and it's a place of um, culture as well. Like churches are definitely a, a, a seat of culture as well. So it's like I think, I think as best a church is exactly what you're describing. Yeah, you know what I mean, I would dig being a part of thing that was that way. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think that does sort of exist. But sort of like the socialist backgrounds of churches has definitely kind of fallen to the wayside. I would a love lot to learn more about that. Modern church. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, like, it's about like the early Christian church was a socialist enterprise for sure. It was yeah. Like, I mean, not even socialist, like straight up feminist, communist, um, yeah. anarchist communes um, right. was the idea of the early church, early Christian church. Man. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I know you and I know my roommate who's currently being, who's currently locked up for a minute. Yeah. Um, but you are both Quaker mm-hmm. anarchists. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering about, I've always known that about that person and I've just met you. So, but do you think, how has that played out in your experience in that setting? Like in terms of like churches, place of redistribution, culture, mm-hmm. or wealth, do you feel like you fragment your relationship to it to suit one group more than the other? And, uh, and also in reference to that conversation we were having earlier about anarchists artists and religious people i i've always found quakers and because i actually went to quaker camp when i was younger i felt it was a place where these things kind of came together in a really great way mm. and uh i don't know i guess i don't have a question it's i sent you a cloud at you and i'm wondering <laughs> like i don't know do, yeah, how, no. how much you find well, identified in in your experience there yeah actually um me and him are part of the Friendly Fire Collective, which is a new collective that um, we and a few other people around the country have made that's a radical Quaker collective. And we called it Friendly Fire. People have a lot of different reasons for that. Um, but it's also because we're sort of attacking the existing hierarchies of sort of a dogmatic Quaker Quakerism. Right. You know, so it's like because we want to reclaim those radical roots of the Quaker tradition and of the like early Christian tradition. So I, because we have all sort of experienced these sort of like, um, calcified 
structures within these churches and within, well, you know, within these places of faith, these meetings and stuff that we all want to dismantle. Right. So, um, I think we, we see, we see an image in the early church that is of this, like, really anarchist, communist, um, striving for egalitarian and striving away from the tyranny of capitalism, you know, of capital, you know, right and stuff. So, um, yeah. So I, I mean, for me, anarchism and Quakerism work together really, really nicely. They, they deepen each other as I move through the world. My anarchist praxis is like deepens my faith and like my faith gives me the strength to do the anarchist shit. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Everyone I know who, the only other person I know who is in that sort of positionality feels very similarly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I believe it. I, I, I know some Quaker organizers from way back who I've learned about some of the stuff they're doing. And I'm like, wow, you have to have so much fortitude and sense of self that must require such a sense of community, sense of fairness, sharing and justice. I don't know. It's just like you are able to act from a place that is larger than fact to act from faith and you're able to act from places larger than faith which is fact like you're you're doing it <laughs> and like I'm, I'm in awe of people that are able to balance that faith and organizing practice and frankly i'm like totally like man i need to like get back with some faith for too long yeah it's like not even like a balance it's like they are the same thing you know what i mean like, yeah i see f- faith is a practice it's not just a thing that you talk about like you find your faith through your works right it's like you're you know in sort of like anarchism is a way of life it's not a set of theories or ideologies yeah when people talk about that you know sort of like um a lot of communism is more of a set of like theoretical political structures and ideas about how we should run the world you know, yeah. but like anarchism is sort of like a way of moving in the world in a way that I, I don't really see translated into a lot of other things other than my faith practice, which is another way of like understanding the world and moving through the world in like an immediate way. So like they work together very well, you know, like weird little stuff. Like as an anarchist, I like at the back of every single signpost that you walk by, you just look at all the stickers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. Like, check to see if any of them are fascist. You know, like, that's just, like, and so it's, like, that's just, like, a little thing that's, like, part of your, like, everyday life. You know, like, moving through the world as a person of faith is sort of, like, just remembering to, like, every once in a while stop and say thank you to a flower. You yeah. Know? So, like, that's a different way of moving through the world. So it's, like, slap up a fuck Nazi sticker and then, like, thank a plum tree and <laughs> kind yeah. of, you know. Those feel like distinctly like opposites. Those feel like they're they're like bouncing from the opposite direction from some kind of like axis of ethic. Like I don't. Okay, I have to get back. Okay, why do those feel like the light and dark of something? Like because it's probably because like I said, fuck Nazis, and that's kind of an angry thing to say. While plum trees seem like a very friendly, nice thing to say. Yeah, one is from a state of acknowledged. I think I might be wrong about this, so please contest me. One is a, from a state of, like, acknowledged insecurity, because, like, fuck Nazis, like, there's, like, some question of whether Nazis, you know, if there's any question of, you're very secure in saying fuck Nazis, but there's a continuum of doubt around, like, should we be saying fuck Nazis? There's apparently people who feel somewhat other way. Hmm. Whereas thinking of flower, I couldn't think of an <laughs> argument. <laughs> I guess just, like, I don't know. 
<laughs> like they, they're on a continuum of contestability with the fuck Nazis, and then with the thinking the flower. I would I would say that there is an able I would say that there actually is a continuum of contestability to it because when you're the kind of person that stops and talks to flowers like there's not necessarily always a social acceptance of that kind of thing like, yeah they're... there's an ableist component to like you have to have time to talk to flowers which means... well well no no not just that but I mean like if you seen as a crazy person mental illness right you know oh you're right wow you know so no. there's sort of I, but I see what you mean. There's a whole lot less contestability, I think, about... I don't think... There's not people actively out there, like, making sure people aren't talking to flowers. Yeah, like, with the New York Times, be like, <laughs> this, these people are saying thank you to flowers. These people are what saying... What the hell? And, like, all the, all, the, all the opinion pages in the New York Times. It's yeah. like, these degenerates thinking flowers. Yeah, what's their problem? <laughs> They've been talking to flowers for hours. Yeah. <laughs> Well, wouldn't it just be a beautiful, lovely world if everybody talked to flowers and Nazis just fucked off? Yeah. Like, that'd be great. It'd I think be that'd lovely. be a chill time. <laughs> would be a chill time. Never, it makes you think of, like, the Dr. Seuss, like, Starbellied Sneetches thing. The, the only difference is that one of them has... Do you ever read that book? Starbellied Sneetches? Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, Stars upon thars. The, the, the pretense is that there's a Sneetch, which is, like, a basic type of species and what there's a machine that can put stars on their bellies and so they separate into groups that get jealous and angry at each other one that has stars and one that doesn't yeah because like the new york times is like some sneeches have stars and some don't like that that that's like so much less to me about like means of access exactly well i don't know oh it's so complex i'm because I, I think that i'm trying to talk about like what can be benign when nothing is necessarily benign. There's just things that I find complimentary. Like, I don't think of having a star on your belly as a position of privilege. I don't think of flowers as something that's to talk to. I'm just, like, essentially outlining my own positionality by saying <laughs> what I think is contestable and what I think isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so actually, I don't know. If, I think I'm going in a futile direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... It, that's sort of the light and dark thing, too, because, like, that's something people wonder about me and about being a Quaker anarchist is, like, it's the nonviolent versus violent. People see that as a dichotomy. Quakers are, like, peaceful and friendly, and then, like, anarchists are, like, angry and intense, you know? And it's like, can those things, like, coexist? It's like, well, they coexist in me, so I guess by definition they can. Right, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. So, but it's a, it's a it's a different it's an interesting space to inhabit. Um, one of the nice things about a mystic faith too is the idea that you can hold um, discordant realities at the same time. Mm. That there there are you can have two things that do not function together happening concur have have concurrent realities that aren't intersecting. Right. You know, it's sort of like, um, which is hard in a post-Enlightenment world, where the Enlightenment said, you know, there's the scientific, there are, there are objective truths. Right. And then mystics are saying, like, there are clashing obje objective truths. I'm so <laughs> like, much more with the latter. Oh, with, yeah, that, um, I'm trying to, I keep saying the wrong word, like, not clashing, um. Juxtaposed? No, like, they can't, they they are opposite. Like, they don't work to, Like, you can't have them at the same time. Dialectic. Is that no. what opposite means? I mean, no. What means opposite? God damn it. What is this word? Uh, mm, contrary. 
Mm. Contradictory. Contradictory. Yeah, that works. There we go. Yeah. So that they're, yeah, that contradictory realities can be concurrent. Yeah. There's actually a F. F Scott Fitzgerald quote that I think is pretty famous because I read it somewhere. But F. Scott Fitzgerald (laughs) said, um, an act of genius is hold, um, I think I'm going to botch the last part of this quote, so this is a paraphrase, um, that an act of genius is to hold two opposing ideas in hand and do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think where that comes from is that the world is so complex that we only understand the world through different narratives, and you can have different narratives that are contrary to each other that are both real yes. at the same time because they're they're taking in different information. Right. Which, um, it's hard to describe. And it causes a lot of th- problems, you know, when people talk about faith being just a thing of cognitive dissonance. It's like, that's true in some ways. And that can be true. But on the other hand, a sort of a, a fully sort of, um, a world that's just doesn't have any space for that is sort of cold and dry and not very interesting. Well, yeah, it almost feels like that world would already be cognitive dissonance for not accepting someone's unique brand of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. So, like, I don't feel dissonant being an angry anarchist that yells at Nazis and being somebody that talks to plants. So it sounds like you have cognitive consonance or cognitive euphonious Ooh, cognitive Cognitive euphonia. You out necessarily? No, I think I, I think they're complementary, even though they're constantly in your brain. Yeah. To kind of just let those things exist without fighting. Yeah. Oh no. This see, because I I'd I'd be inciting. I'd be talking about the Ramayana and letting things pass you like clouds, hanging out with them. Like you acknowledge them, but you're not like that sort of sense of peace comes from is from a continuous practice of silent contemplation. But then Quaker contemplation is not like that. There are no rules and your brain, it's just sort of not like trying to clear your mind of everything. Actually, it's kind of just like letting every place of clarity and like ideas from, but they kind of like, because ideas bubble up. Yeah, because things are always sort of happening and it's cool to be able to watch. You were right about whatever you just said was correct. (laughs) It's so correct. It's like the thing. I actually like having noise on to sleep. Yeah, I actually do too. I listen to I listen to talk feedback, and <laughs> d- like cycles of things moving. And I don't know, but I won't... cool. Uh, she owns a venue in the entertainment called the Outer Limits Lounge. Like kind of like put out some interest for in my head, but I haven't been having any in depth. Yeah, how's your mind doing? It's crazy. I have mental health problems, so like, if it was gonna be, like, can I reclaim crazy? Have some kind of identity around, like, when I'm having a a me moment, I'm like, oh, don't, don't, like, don't worry about what I just said. There's all sorts of connotations, but something's just like, my life's, like, in tumult at the particular moment. Call yourself illegitimate means that you're already legitimate, that you'd be authority on your own legitimacy. Recover. Like their mm. legitimacy, so I think wacky is better because it's more like, ooh, like, Dale. yeah, yeah, you are, you, you've been in, 
disempowered. I, I need to stay in contact with the jail support people and like with my crew and like with all the people, which means I need to. Really invited me into this house. It kind of takes us back around to like how wonderful it is to have nice people in the world. I think so. Any kindness, mm. and I might not receive any. Mm. And I might, I might just be in a world where there's a structural silence. Seem like they shouldn't be an anomaly. I don't think they necessarily are not trustworthy. Like you're faking it. Like you can't possibly actually be a nice person. Yeah. yeah. And that's like that. But it's in other places in the world, other 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 venues and stuff. But it's like it's. No, the, the, oh man, there's this the Telecalvino story about this king who sits in his throne and just imagines. Like it's interesting that you brought up the fact that it it is tied to a social hierarchy where if you have power, you're just corrupted by power. Yeah. Maybe it's a gain power. Like maybe you didn't have a certain level of lucidity. And you had to fama, but like for you, it's real. Yeah. Because you had to fight somewhere in this spectrum, and like to have. But you're not competing. It's like it doesn't translate, and it seems like every like that's happened to me. Like everything will be seen as that. Yeah. If you're if you're if it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, literally, um, I saw who's ever friendly or nice is gonna be seen as like a snitch, like a cop. Yeah. I wish it'd be like this special combination that makes them someone you like is that they weren't too nice and they weren't too mean. Because uh, like you've often you can't trust people. That's real. Right. Right. You know, the right. more wary you have to be. So like that's a horrible situation. You can't have them each other in some ways. Like, and that empowers stuff here. This is my house. Okay, that's all I need to know now. And you don't have to have that. Fix that. Is it even fixable? That's just a question, I guess. That's the thing about a seeking faith is it's- It's so bad. <laughs> well, what I decided, sort of, is like, I'd rather, you right. know, like, I'd rather get fucked over. Yeah. Like, in the, and just be seen as, like, gullible. It's like, I'm not stupid. Yeah. That's helpful. <laughs> Her ceiling. And then some people would come in and she's like, yeah, you know, I wrote gullible on my ceiling. And they're like, oh. Right, right. <laughs> and like, even if you hadn't- why wouldn't you want to check? Like, I want to- Right. You know? But then that scene is stupid. Like, that's the whole joke, is that, like, you, someone is so stupid, they- Or something. I don't remember. Never mind. I mean, I have this new scenario lately where when people tell me where you're like, that, that sounds possible. Yeah. I know you've said this. Uh-huh. Like, like, that's all I, I know I, from you. Yeah, and I do that, and people think I'm stoned a lot, and I'm rarely stoned. Yeah, I I got pulled in. I'm Luna Love Goody. Like, oh, I just <laughs> yeah, I love Luna Love Goody. I know, I do too. I love Luna Love. Violent character. I think of you know, it's just like everyone who's has like this like intense entitlement. They're they're on the most constructive members of that like social <laughs> organization. That's of, true. Hogwarts students. She's like, oh, place. Yeah. We don't need an excuse to talk to flowers. You don't have to be high. You can just do it anyway. I just I can't remember the right word. I was I was. I took a Richard Rohr class on um, three transcendentals. That's the yeah. one. The three transcendentals that everything and yeah. God is good, true, and beautiful. So everything in existence is one of those three things. I don't know. Well, things can be multiple things, but then it's like, and the the opposite, like the opposite. Of I think I have to sit with that. Yeah. Because <laughs> way of being in the world. Because. If, if, if a material is in front of you, it might as well have this <laughs> It's like, how do you look at a Nazi and think then think about the tr putting, I kind of, I'm like, skipping out and just putting everything I don't like in the true category. <laughs> that they don't agree with would be 
true but not good. I think so people like, would, would map. I don't think it's an answer. I don't think you're supposed to necessarily be able to decide if something is good, true, or beautiful. Yeah. Where it's like instead of looking at something and saying, what's wrong with it? You say, you look at it and you say, is it, if there's a problem, people jump to like, well, are they a cop? Are they a snitch? Are they an abuser? Are they, I don't like to like, hate sometimes. Right. Like it. It feels bad. Hate? And there's a few others, it's just, it's sort of the, the Taoist, the trust in the world, and just sort of an uncomplicated view. People are like, you can't do that, like, you, you, you know, you would get beaten and whipped and jailed, and, you know, and they're just... You're in an administrative approach where someone's like, why'd you do that? And they're like, oh, it's just the rules. Like, yeah. Like, like, of course it's that. They, they, they accept, like, an institution as, yeah. a, as a truth. It's like, it's like everything gets so complicated and it's so, like, calls a person and they get a thing and it's... I don't know, it's just, <laughs> so, it's like, maybe. But again, it's like, isn't it better to live in a world where either... It's an interesting paradox. It's one that I like how it was explored. Have you ever read The Metamorphosis? Mm. There's a theme in the book that, it's not really stated outright, but I feel, which is that as a human mastic weaver, and she challenges the queen of the gods to, or, well, she, she's the, uh, the, the, the godly the, the goddess weaves like all of the 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 gods pillaging humans and and and, and you know reek oh you really think so and then she just turned arachne into a spider mm -hmm. <laughs> and then so, so she was she was out and you know it's like if she looks back at orpheus then he goes and gets her and hades says you can have her she's gonna walk behind you but you can't look back oh right right and so he sits on the hill and plays all the day, and all these nymphs are like, well, like, I want to, like, mate with... He was in subordinate nature to the gods. You think of the life of love versus life of paranoia, because it is so human to be paranoid. Yeah. And it is so... Identifying details. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think, like, consent and, like, things that are pertinent to the... Giving out information, people's consent to... That kind of stuff. Maybe the, like I'm, I'm running out of good ideas and good anecdotal evidence or anything I'm saying, so we might need to stop the recording. <laughs> How long have you been doing this? I don't know. I just have to call my sweet friend. Oh, we have to call two sweet friends. Holy shit. Um, oh, phone world. Yeah, okay. Alright, well, let me just do the ending then. We can edit in. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for being on. This was great. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Yeah, it probably sounded really whack. I mean, I don't think I've ever been in, in like, podcast conversational mode, so. Yeah, it's fun, right? It's new for me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, yeah thanks. Did I just push stop? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that was even less professional than I thought it was. Um, I didn't even realize that the mic was going out. <laughs> That worked out nicely. I remember I was talking to him for like a long time and then looked and see that I only had 40 minutes of audio or something. I was like, how did that happen? I thought we were talking forever. Like, we were, in fact, talking forever. It just, we only got like half of it recorded. So that tied in really nicely to the theme of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a great conversation, I promise. All right, bye.